Good morning, Gator Nation, and welcome to episode 33 of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. As we always do when we hit those airwaves, we have a lot to discuss today, most notably an SEC Championship Game Showdown in which Florida put up an admirable battle but fell short against Alabama. Of course, I am your host, Dustin Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. And as usual, we've gotten all kinds of weather creator and founder Neil Schulman with us, and you can follow him at all kinds weather. So, Neil, how's it going? It's going well, man. Um, you know, this is the, the pre-holiday time where I'm just prepping some annual types of content for y'all, um, most notably and, and including the FSU Conquered by Everyone highlight film. Um, if you don't know what that is now, you will soon and you will enjoy it. I'm pretty certain when I say that. But yeah, you know, there's snow on the ground here in New Jersey. It's nice to look out and see snow. I happen to like snow, so it's a nice relaxing time. How about you, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Been real busy getting ready for the, the holidays. Um, anyway, let's uh, dive right into it. All right. So, of course, as always, we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp in non-COVID years. In this COVID year, we've been reduced to a virtual campaign. We were hoping to announce our winner for that virtual campaign this week, but of course, this is 2020. Fanatics effed up our order, and now we are placed in a holding pattern. So that is all TBD. But you'll want to be following our social media handles for updates, which are at the Gator Good on Twitter, at Gator Good Foundation on Instagram, and the Gator Good Foundation on Facebook. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. There is not a better way, in my opinion, to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator fan. So not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com. And one final thing that just broke as we're recording this now, we're not going to spend too much time on it, but we do need to address it at least for a minute before we move on to the main topic of our show, which is the SEC championship game showdown between Florida and Alabama. That is that the NCAA announced on Tuesday afternoon that Florida had committed recruiting violations under Dan Mullen, which they technically labeled as level two and level three violations and listed a bunch of punishments that Florida and Mullen faced as a result, mostly just recruiting restrictions. Mullen did get fined $5,000 and he and Florida were slapped with a year of probation and uh, a one year show cause penalty because the NCAA just loves to make things more complicated than they need to be. Most times they were pretty vague with their language and their press release, and they failed to explicitly state that most of the punishments had already been served, which is the case and which I feel would have been a very, a very greatly appreciated piece of context that they added. Of course they didn't do that. So thankfully Scott Strickland came in the Florida athletic director and he came along and issued his own statement that cleared all that up and confirmed that nearly all the NCAA's punishments had already been served by Florida and by Mullen. And because we're finding out about this ad for the fact, it's ultimately not a huge deal, not a huge story, but there is one thing that I think is very important to note here. Just because the sanctions have just about all been served doesn't mean that Dan Mullen is actually going to get off probation in a practical sense anytime soon because technically when the ncaa issues a year of probation you are not actually on probation after that one year expires but in practicality meaning in practice you never really do get off it because the ncaa doesn't just forget about who it warns or who it sanctions so for example if 
Dan Mullen commits another minor violation in 2023 that ordinarily wouldn't really be dealt with too harshly, the NCAA is probably going to look at that and say, well, okay, there was this XYZ thing that he did a few years ago. We punished him for it. And now on top of that, there's this new thing he did in 2023. So it doesn't seem like he's actually learned anything from the last set of punishments we gave him. So now we're going to really bring the hammer down on him and come down much harder than we ordinarily would for the average coach who commits this minor violation. Fair or not, that's just how they operate. It's how they have operated, and I see no reason to believe it's not how they will continue to operate moving forward. So, yeah, this is mostly old news. It is mostly a past issue. He didn't just do anything wrong yesterday. And, yeah, if he stays out of trouble the rest of his time in Gainesville, he'll be fine. But he does now have a strike against him that we didn't know that he would have had before the NCAA made this announcement and he does need to be more careful moving forward, which he did know before today when the announcement was made and which we didn't know before the announcement was made. Doesn't mean it wasn't in effect, but he does have to be careful. And with that said, let's talk football. Dustin, you're the host, so back to you. Thanks, Neil. And of course, this is a year unlike any other. So for the first time in recent memory, Florida really only has – about a week and a half to get ready for its bowl season. So that means we're going to put out another episode soon to break down the Gators' upcoming Cotton Bowl matchup against Oklahoma. But today, we're going to focus on the SEC championship game that took place last Saturday in the aftermath of the Florida Gators after what we saw in that game. And yes, Florida lost. And yes, There are definitely points of irritation along the way, but this was quite a battle. This was certainly not the game that any of us expected, except for maybe my last-minute switch of hopeful, of of, um, you know, a hopeful gesture toward the Gators. Um, As you know, uh, I always like to be that happy-go-lucky, positive guy, and I, I really wanted to instill that confidence in our team. Um, And it looks like they didn't disappoint, even though we lost. So what do you think? Yeah, so first of all, before we go into our takeaways of the game, I got to give a shout out to at Hazlitt Drew on Twitter, who said that Florida would beat Alabama 52 to 45. That's not exactly what happened, but the numbers were very, very close. So close enough. I'm giving you a shout out that is at Hazlitt Drew was within one point of picking the final score exactly right. Of course, he did have Florida on top, but nonetheless, pretty impressive. So good for you, Drew. Congrats on that. Um, Yeah, so this is a classic battle between two elite offenses. Ultimately, Alabama just made more plays, but it's clear that Florida isn't that far behind Alabama as a program. They're not ahead of them. They're right in the same area as they are. And we'll talk about why they're not ahead of them or even directly matching them in a minute, but you know, a couple of personnel tweaks and they'll be there, but I'm going to go ahead and use this time to say this Kyle Pitts is officially, or I guess I should say now was officially the best tight end in Florida Gators history. And I say was because his career is officially over now as he has opted out of the Cotton Bowl game against Oklahoma. Yes, he's better than Ben Troop. Yes, better than Iran Kinney. Yes, better than Cornelius Ingram. Yes, he was better than Aaron Hernandez. I mean, I remember watching Hernandez and being really impressed with how easy he made things look at the tight end position. He was unstoppable. He wasn't this unstoppable. He did not leave defenses as utterly helpless as Kyle Pitts did. And I think ultimately Kyle Pitts is going to be remembered in a vein similar to Percy Harvin in that people are going to say, like, damn, if only he could have stayed fully healthy throughout his career. Because he did leave a lot of stats out there, not by his own fault. You know, he didn't choose to get a concussion against Georgia, and he definitely didn't choose to not play against LSU. But there were so many more yards and touchdowns just out there for the taking that he could have accumulated this season if he'd stayed healthy and active. And let's face it, Alabama is the final test for that. Whenever you have an explosive offense or an explosive piece here or there, Nick Saban's defense is 
the, the final boss, so to speak, that he has to face in order to prove his worth once and for all. Like Pitts has been dominant all year, and now he went out and maintained that dominance against the defense that's littered with five stars and that's coached by Nick Saban. Seven catches, 129 yards, and a touchdown. That's quite a way to go out. So Kyle Pitts, thank you for everything, sir. Go get paid. See you on NFL Red Zone. Well, hey, Neil, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Kyle Pitts. Man, I just wish Mullen would have used him a little more on that shovel pass we saw so much in the 2008 SEC championship game. I feel like he would have been absolutely unstoppable if we could get him with some space. He, he would have been pretty explosive there. I don't think that we did that a lot because of the problems we had on our offensive line. But, I mean, yeah, we, we could have tried it at least once or twice and just seen if it was there. And, you know, if it wasn't, then you abandon it and you go back to just using him more vertically. But Kyle Pitts, man. Right, and I only say that, I only say that because of how Alabama, for much of the game, was covering Florida. They were not really – they were obviously not respecting the run game. And when they, whenever they left the box open, that made for perfect opportunities for plays like that. Um, in fact, that's one of the main reasons why Trask was able to be so successful on his quarterback sneaks. It's because that part of the field was wide open, and all we needed was basically a half block here and a half block was able to be successful so it's just one of those observations yeah no um, i mean it's it's a yeah. good one because it, it is it, his career is canon now like it's done and over with and we can talk about it in the past tense and that's yeah. really because i mean look florida really when you think about it and you think about how the game went going behind seven nothing early yeah we strike right back with a bomb but then we're just behind the eight ball the rest of the way florida never really had a chance to win the game i'm sorry but they really did they were in it they were right there with Alabama, but they didn't really have a chance to win the game. That and no. that's, you know, that's because of our defense. But I mean, within that game, that Florida never really had a chance to win. Looking back at it, Kyle Pitts did everything he possibly could have, and and really right. he did that every time he stepped on the field. You're right. Seven receptions, 129 yards, and a touchdown. And that touchdown that he caught was immaculate. I know that obviously we would have wanted the win, and Kyle Pitts, of anybody, wanted that victory. But look at the look at the NFL highlight tape that he's put together, capped off by that incredible NFL quality catch. I mean, he climbed the ladder, as we say so often when discussing Kyle Pitts. He high pointed the ball. He caught it the right way he held on to it on his way down and he kept both feet in bounds and then checked to make sure that he was indeed in bounds and then he celebrated by giving the ball to the refs and finding a teammate that was how awesome. Pitts is incredible and yes you're probably right the Gators didn't really have a chance in that game but when that play happened it completely changed how I personally saw the game. I, I thought it was just Gators playing catch-up the entire way, and that's evidently what it was. But once that play happened, I'm like, wow. If the Gators are going to win this thing, that's going to be the play of the game. So, And we'll get to players of the game and plays of the game in a little bit, but I just wanted to pull up that nugget before we dive into more analysis. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's very important to note just how impressive Florida was offensively as a unit in this game, because we've been very critical of Dan Mullen for a variety of things on this pod. And he did do something very stupid that we'll get to a little bit later in this pod. But I think it is worth noting that in the one single category of what is a Dan Mullen offense supposed to look like at Florida, this was it. Like, this was it. We're there. In that one specific category, the University of Florida is where it's supposed to be, exactly where it's supposed to be. I mean, obviously, there's a story of Kyle Trask going from a two-star to a star, period, and Kyle Pitts, as we just talked about. But, I mean, look around the offense. Kadarius Toney goes from just an explosive guy who couldn't really get touches because he couldn't put it all together 
to be a complete wide receiver. Now he's probably second or third round NFL draft pick. And Trayvon Grimes goes from being one of like, what, nine guys competing for targets in 2019 to a true number one wide receiver. And then left tackle, Stone Forsythe, showed incredible improvement from the Mississippi game to the Alabama game this year. Now, some of the personnel decisions that Mullen makes on offense are irritating. Like, for example, at right tackle. As a fan, they are objectively infuriating. But overall, this unit on offense really showed what Dan Mullen is capable of. In terms of developing an offense, he really is the genius we thought he was. Now, of course, Florida lost this game, and we'll get to why they lost this game in a minute. But, Dustin, before we move on, you got any more nice words to say about this game before we go ahead and talk about some of the things that aren't as pleasant? So, Neil, the other thing that stuck out to me was how great Kyle Trask played. I mean, you you know me very well, Neil. I'm not going to do this, but I could spend the entire episode Literally, I could spend the entire 90-minute episode going on and on about Kyle Trask. And while I genuinely hope, and this may be an unpopular opinion, I genuinely hope he decides to come back for another year. Of course, based on NCAA eligibility rules, he is eligible to come back next year. Um, Should he come back, that remains to be seen. Um, certainly if he's considered to be a uh, top two or three round draft pick, then he probably shouldn't come back. He probably should move on and, and make some money for his family. Um, but if he does come back, it would be very good for the Florida Gators. And he obviously put on a show in the SEC championship game, though his game wasn't perfect. He did, um, he did have a, uh, a turnover uh, deep in his own territory. And I believe that, I believe it was in the uh, early fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken. It was. Um, yep. He got strip sacked because John DeLance doesn't yeah. know how to block. But yeah. That's yeah. Right. And I'm glad. I'm glad you said that because a lot of his turnovers this season have been attributed in part to the uh, the poor offensive line play, and I'll just call it the right side of the offensive line. I mean, everybody, just like everybody. Every Gator fan knows when someone says third and you, you, you know what's being filled yep. in right there. Hopefully we Any, don't have to hear that for too much longer. I hope so. I sure hope so. Right. Well, anytime we talk about the right side, y'all know who we're talking about. And digressing from that, Kyle Trask had, a, had an absolute insane game. I mean, think about it. We're not talking about uh, Vanderbilt defense. We're not talking about a uh, Eastern Kentucky defense. We're talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, if you if you've had any opportunity to look at their recruiting rankings um, or the amount of five stars they have on that side of the ball, it's insanity. And Kyle Trask was able to throw 408 yards on that. I mean, he was 26 for 40, 408 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. Incredible. On top of that, he added a, a brilliantly called uh, touchdown run. And like we were talking about earlier with how Alabama was, was playing our offense and they had no respect for our run game. Now, while our offensive line wasn't able to produce gaps for a running back. Um, When you have the quarterback running the ball, you allow for an extra blocker, and that gave opportunity for Kyle Trask to to do well on those runs. And I thought he had an exceptional game. Um, I thought uh, his his product placement was phenomenal. Uh, You know, two specific passes that I want to pull out, one I already mentioned, but that throw to Kyle Pitts, in the end zone. I mean, it, I mean, the ball could not have been placed any more perfectly. And the other one that I want to, I want to look at and discuss is the throw to Trayvon Grimes. I thought that throw was, and I'm speaking specifically on the the 50 yard touchdown throw um, or touchdown reception, which ended up being 
50 yards after the catch. Uh, the, the place where Kyle Trask put that ball was phenomenal. And I thought his poise during the course of that game was 100% commendable. And I'll just leave it at this. Upon recording, we're not 100% sure if, if he's even a finalist, but he certainly not only deserves to be a finalist, but in my opinion, uh, my, my objective opinion, uh, looking back at previous Heisman Trophy winners, he definitely should win the Heisman. And if he doesn't, it'll be almost as bad as when Rex Grossman was snubbed of the Heisman back in 2001. So Kyle Trask, I mean, I almost said Kyle Pitts. I mean, both Kyles were phenomenal. Kyle Trask had an incredible game. So what yeah. do you think, Neil? Any, any takeaways? Any, any, do, you, or, do you agree with that? Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, Trask is a one-of-a-kind quarterback in that he has defied so many odds to get to where he is now. And when, when you place him in front of a defense that's better than any defense he's faced throughout the course of his year, and really the course of his career, it's not a surprise that he's going to light them up. Like, you know, it's just another level for him on this video game and called win the Heisman Trophy, and he's just slaying them left and right. Um, I mean, we'll – We'll talk a little bit more about the Heisman toward the end of the show, but if he does leave and, and this is it, this Cotton Bowl is it, or even if he doesn't play the Cotton Bowl, if this year is it for him, I mean, Gator fans just, yeah, Emory Jones can run the ball, and yeah, he unlocks a whole different dimension of Dan Mullen's offense, but this guy is going to be sorely missed. Uh, and, and if you were one of those Emory Hivers, so to speak, if you were in that Emory Jones hive, and I love Emory, by the way, so I'm not saying I'm not, but if you were one of those start Emory over Trask people, be careful what you wish for because Emory's great. I love him, but I, he's not going to be what this guy is in terms of production. He's just not. Yeah, I mean, I agree. So I know personally I could go on and on about the positives, but anyway, despite all that there was to be proud of Florida did lose this game. And therefore there was quite a few things to be irritated by. We could point out a lot of things, but Neil, what specifically do you believe lost Florida this game? And, you know, I just have to say this, Neil, you're so good at pointing out negative stuff, you know, take it away. Yeah. Well, someone's got to be real since you're the, the sunshine and rainbows guy of the pod. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. What, what, what lost Florida the game? Todd Grantham. I know it's old news, but he lost us this game. And first of all, there's no way we had a prayer to beat Alabama by giving their athletes 10, 15 yard cushions off the line of scrimmage one time, let alone multiple times, let alone several times. And look, I get that guys like Devonte Smith are good enough to beat you for home run balls. If you just try to jam them at the line every time. But I mean, dude, Try something different. We've only been getting paper cutted to death with eight or nine yard slants for 10 games now. You think that the best quarterback we've ever faced is going to mysteriously start missing those throws? And look, I will say in Grantham's defense that the defensive line isn't fantastic. It's not horrible. It's not the worst part of our team, but it's not great. Having said that, yes, go ahead, Grantham. Let's keep lining up in three-man fronts and let Najee Harris slice us apart for 178 yards on the ground. Let's keep giving him five free yards before we even before we even make contact with him. And even on the one play, Grantham got aggressive. The last touchdown to Devontae Smith, where he puts 10 guys in the box and leaves Marco Wilson one-on-one with him, Marco Wilson gives him a four-yard cushion at the line of scrimmage. So the second Smith breaks in on the post, he's dead because there's no help. You, you can't do that. You, you just can't do it. That That's a bad defensive play design. If you're going to leave your corner one-on-one, well, A, he better be better than Marco Wilson, but B, he better jam him at the line and delay him long enough for that 10-man box to get home and cause some sort of disruption so that Mac Jones can't get him the ball. And maybe Wilson was designed to come up and jam him and just didn't do what he was supposed to do, but that's even worse because then there's the issue of, well, why is he in the game? because that would not be the first time he's done something he's not supposed to do. And that's part of a theme with this defense. And look, Alabama's going to score points on everybody they play. So by no means am I suggesting that Florida should have held them to three total points. Like they're going to get their points against anyone. Our 2008 defense wasn't going to stop them. It's that we looked so helpless and 
got beaten in the exact same manner in which our defense has been beaten all year, that really has me at the end of my rope with Grantham. So yeah, we need a new defensive coordinator. We'll save that for a later pod if we don't get that wish, but essentially same old, same old with this defense that costs us the game. Now, Neil, obviously 46 points is enough to beat anybody. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, considering if you look at the stats before Florida played Alabama, anytime the Gators scored 40 points in their history, they won. They were 187 and nothing. They, meaning, meaning they were undefeated. 187 wins when they scored more than 40. But not this game. 46 points was not enough to beat the Crimson Tide. And I'm telling you, if you came to me preseason and you said, hey, the Gators were going to play Alabama and they were going to score 46 points, I would have called it a route. I would have said there was no way, knowing, knowing what we had coming back, knowing everything that I knew preseason, I would have said there's no way Florida doesn't pull out that win. But, I'm, but I, was, I would have been 100% wrong. And you mentioned Todd Grantham. I, I'm, I would like to go in the direction that you went, but I'm going to try to be different. I mean, you look at our inability to force turnovers. I mean, the turnover battle is arguably the most important battle that goes on during a football game. I mean, a football game is, is a war that is, that is made up of individual battles that occur every play. In that turnover battle, it, 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 uh, it's absolutely critical you win that, and we did not win that. Kyle Trask turned it over um, deep in their own territory um, on, a, on a drive that was critical. I mean, I know that our defense stepped up and only held Bama to a field goal, but that's a field goal we couldn't give up. I mean, consider if we would have put together an immaculate drive on that drive like we did in other drives in the, in the fourth quarter, we probably could have won the game. So that could have been that could have cost us as much as 10 points. That could have cost us the victory. We did not win the turnover battle. Another turnover that was that was pretty earth earth-shattering was Trey Dean, who first off made a, a ballsy interception that reminded me of the Ahmad Black interception in the national championship game. But five seconds later, boom. I mean, it, it, he probably was targeted in his defense. But he, he, in hindsight, it's always twenty twenty. But if you have an opportunity to intercept the ball, if you know, I mean, even if you don't know, but if you know that you're not going to score a touchdown, then your number one goal should be ball security to get on the ground quickly so you're – generational talent at quarterback and your your top 10 in the country offense can score. I mean this is not this isn't, you know, 20 2013 where if the defense didn't score there was no way the Gators were going to score period. I mean I mean let your offense do their thing. And I I I know that you're that you're close to James Houston, so I have to pull this one out. But it was so sad to watch uh, one of the outlets with their highlight video. Oh, don't even talk about that. And it showed James Houston. At first, it looked like he intercepted the ball. I'm like, no, I don't remember him intercepting the ball. And then the, the, the play continued, and the ball went right through his hands. Man, James Houston almost had the most important play of his entire career. I don't want to talk about it. Bro. <laughs> Man, James. No, I mean he's got to make the play. He's got to make the play. Like, like he's does. my dude. I I love him. But hey, man, I, if I, you're like, listening I, to this, I just want you to know that I'm so glad you're coming back next year because I know that you're not going to make the same mistake next year. And when we play Alabama, I'm getting, you're going to be showing up like nobody else. And hopefully, this COVID thing is not a thing anymore. People are vaccinated, and it's squashed and we can fill the the swamp with 90,000 because that that revenge tour is going to be incredible next year and we'll get to 
we'll get to discussion of 2021 in a, in a much later podcast, but I'll leave it at that. I mean, look, in James Houston's defense, it was somewhat deceptive camera work there. The ball did not actually go right through his hands as it looked on that highlight video. What actually happened was that he just jumped too late and got his hands to the height that the ball passed through after the ball had already traveled past him. So he was just a fraction of a second late in getting up there. But, I mean, look, regardless, that was a big play he could have made to turn the momentum of the game and give Florida the ball back, and he didn't do it. Not much else to say there. I I know he really wants that play back, but, I mean, James Houston has done far more good than bad this year on a defense that as a whole can't really say that. So, you know, knowing him as well as I do, I trust him to let that missed opportunity fuel him and make him a better player. Anyway, um, that that's just one play on on a defense that's loaded with problems, and and we can we we can have the discussion about Todd Grantham if he comes back after the Cotton Bowl um, about what it means for Florida as a program and what their ceiling is, but the synopsis of that conversation is going to be Florida is limiting itself. It, it, it is hampering itself. It is, it is taking a knife and just chopping off one of its feet. Like, you know, you can live with it. You can get it, you know, you can get the foot bound, but you're not going to be a hundred percent of yourself without a foot. So that's essentially the argument that's going to be made if he does come back. Hopefully we don't have to have that, but anyway, um, yeah. So on to less, on to less graphic stuff, uh, hidden gems. Let's talk hidden gems. Uh, you know, we love to do this every show. We're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into the game and talk about some things that impressed us that aren't necessarily being talked about on the scale that they should be talked about. So, Dustin, uh, in a little script flipping here, I'm going to ask you, what was your hidden gem from the SEC championship game? I could talk about Kyle Trask for hours. So I'm going to use the hidden gem question as another opportunity to talk about Kyle Trask. And I'm going to point out his running. I, I mean, he had a touchdown run, which was great. And on top of that, he had, a, he had the run for the two-point conversion. For all that's been said in that he's not a good fit for the Dan Mullen offense, and while he might not be the 4-5 the running talent or the, the twitchy running talent that Mullen's had in the past, certainly we've seen out of Emory Jones, and Emory Jones had a pretty good game too. I mean, he had uh, two rushes for 24 yards, including a 17-yard uh, run, which was pretty darn good, you know. And because I said that, I'll go ahead and lump him in there too. I thought both of our quarterbacks ran the ball pretty well. I mean, considering, you know, looking at the yardage, considering between Emory and Trask, I mean, the quarterbacks accounted for a little over half of all the rushing yards. Uh, that the team accounted for during the game. I mean, the Gators only had 54 rushing yards, so when your your quarterbacks have 30 of them, I mean, nothing, not much more you can say. How about you, Neil? What, what was your hidden gem? Well, we've gotten through with, with roasting this defense pretty much in every way possible, so I'll say something nice about them. The defense has a lot of work to do. And it's got to start with getting a new DC and a more simplified scheme. But whoever comes in and takes over, assuming, of course, that we do that, is going to have a stud to work with in Kyrie Elam. That man was everywhere against Alabama, most notably tracking down Devontae Smith on a crossing route and flinging him down on a fourth three to finally get a stop for Florida. I mean, look, I get it. The net result of this defense in 2020 was terrible, but Elam was a very bright spot on it. I mean, and now if we can just replace Marco Wilson with someone who's competent, maybe Jaden Hill makes strides this offseason, or maybe it's Chester Kimbrough, or maybe it's someone we're not even thinking of. But if we do that, this secondary could be really, really good next year, right away. Anyway, shout out to Elam because you were a beast all year, and I can't wait to see you really shine on a functioning defense next year. But yeah, Neil, I agree. Uh, Kyrie Elam played great. I know. Um, I know. Obviously, the Alabama offense is not. It's uh, not the easiest offense to go at. It's certainly, a uh, we we're using the word generational a lot 
Um, and that's what happens when you talk about a, uh, the conference championship game for the most prolific conference in the nation. You're going to talk about generational talent. And that's what we saw uh, with, with Alabama. And I thought Elam did a great job considering what he was up against. So I'm sure you guys have had enough of us talking. Let's, uh, let's do something that we thoroughly enjoy here at the uh, headquarters for at all kinds of weather. That's diving into some fan tweets. So, Neil, do you have a fan tweet that you want to bring out and share with our listening audience? I've got three. I've got one from my boy Grawl at Alex Grawlick 1K, who says there was tremendous effort and the offense finally looked in sync again, but this defense is nowhere close to even being competitive. The fact that we had to applaud a couple of stops is beyond me. <laughs> yeah, no, me too, girl. Uh, he goes on to say, the talent is there outside of the few, but it's game 11 and we still can't even line up. And that to me is a, a long-winded way of saying we need a new defensive coordinator. Because, yeah, the, the fact that we're begging and pleading for our team to get a stop is – is just mind-boggling. And, and you know what? One of my other friends made a good point in a group chat I'm in. He said, we literally are physically incapable of getting a stop. This, this is early in the Alabama game. He, he said this in a group chat that I'm in. He said, we're physically incapable of getting a stop. The last three times we did, we had Marco Wilson being a moron with the shoe throw. We had an offsides penalty that gave them a third and five as opposed to a third and ten. And we had a hands-to-the-face penalty called on Zach Carter to give him a free first down. The, th those were what happened the last three times we made a stop on third down. Those three things gave Alabama another chance. It gave him a first down. So, yeah. And, and, and the fact that we're, we're at a point where we have to just beg and plead for a stop once and then we applaud like crazy when we finally get it is not the Gator standard that Dan Mullen preaches. So that was one that was from Grawl. And then there's another one from at AJ Papagno. I think I've used him before who says Mullen has the program going in the right direction. We're a competent DC away from being an all around elite team. If that is not the perfect way to summarize my thoughts on this current program, in two sentences, I do not believe that those two sentences have been crafted yet because that is exactly it. I do think Mullen is getting our program close to where it's supposed to be. There, there is no question that this program is in a significantly better state than it was in the day he took over when we just went four and seven and had Shark Boy get fired because he painted our fan base as bloodthirsty lunatics who clamor for blood at the first sight of adversity. There is no doubt that we are closer to being that championship team than we were the day he took over, but we're not there yet. And until he makes that move and gives us a new defensive coordinator, preferably one that doesn't just run three man fronts all game long, maybe, you know, a four, three guy will help. Um, but yeah, we're, we're that away from beating Alabama. As you saw, we were right there with Bama with that incompetent defensive coordinator. So yeah, definitely. And the last one I'm going to use is a slightly different one. This, this is from at don't ask me, yo, Mike Johnson, the defensive scheme killed us all night. Mac said it best. Mac Jones said it best. They gave us the middle all night. So I took it all night, gave away a championship. Yeah, that's, you know, that kind of is what happened. We did give them the middle all night. We did we did just give their receivers 8, 10, 20-yard cushions at the line of scrimmage and let them run whatever sort of slant routes or dig routes they wanted and just pick up 10, 15 free yards a pop. And we never adjusted to that. We never did anything to combat that. And we let them paper cut us to death. So, yeah, uh, we did give away a championship by refusing to do anything but that. So those are my tweets. Dustin. How about you? Yeah, man, he's not wrong. It's pretty abysmal what we saw in terms of our defense. So let me go ahead and read this. And this is from uh, Chuck Harrington. And it's what he says. The same takeaways from all season. Number one, Steiner, DeLance are not SEC caliber. Can't believe we don't have anyone better. Number two, missing vocal 
on-the-field leader at linebacker and safety to get defense set before every snap. And number three, defensive coordinator needs to be replaced for calling the same soft zone 70% of the time. I mean, I mean, Chuck, why don't you just come on and, and do this show for me? I mean, I mean, I couldn't have said it better. We need to improve in those areas. We need, we need to not only get talent on the team, establish depth in the team, but put the right guys in the game. I mean, do you mean to tell me that Hopper or some of the other uh, underclassmen um, wouldn't do better than a Steiner or a Wilson? Come on, man. It's not, it's not uh, complicated. I mean, we got we to gotta differentiate things on defense. And let, for my last uh, tweet I'm going to read, it's actually going to be a conversation. And it kind of goes along with what we were saying earlier. Uh, this is from Home Skillet, and he says this, that Gene DeLance and Marco Wilson should be in the ring of honor. <laughs> and then Gator CPA comments back, Almost immediately, and he says, I assume you mean ring of horror. Because <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what it felt like. I mean, all season, seeing both those guys on the field, I mean, on one end, I mean, you have a guy who, I'm not even going to talk anymore about Marco. You know how I feel about him. And then DeLance. I mean, DeLance was either directly responsible or, partially responsible for multiple sacks, multiple strip sacks, and multiple opportunities for Kyle Trask to be taken out of the game. I mean, come on, man. Hevesy's been an all-around good coach for the offensive line, but having DeLance in there at any at any point was sort of frustrating. No, it's super frustrating because we have backups in uh, Josh Braun and Mike Tarquin, who I know I've, I've heard some rumblings from, from within the program. I don't think they're going to care if I say it now the season's over, it's not in the cotton bowl, but he's not quite ready. I don't care. Let him learn. Are you, are you going to seriously tell me that him not ready would result in something worse than what we've seen from DeLance all year? Like, like how not ready is he really? Like, is he going to miss on a third of his blocks and allow Trask to get blown up every time? To which the honest answer very well may be yes, yes, and yes. He really is that not ready. He really would perform that inadequately. To which I would say, well, okay, fine then wouldn't we rather have a freshman missing these blocks and learning and getting reps for the future that he can build off of rather than a, a fifth-year senior transfer from Texas? Like, if you're going to have problems at a position, why would you not at least want the problem to come from a freshman or a young guy with not, without experience when the alternative is for an upperclassman who is experienced to make the same mistakes and cost the team in the same way. I look, I'm, I'm not a coach. I don't make millions to make these decisions. All I'm going to say is I see what happens when we use 56 out there. And it is very, very difficult for me to believe that Tarquin could be worse or Braun for that matter. It, it, it's just, it, yeah, it, it is just nearly impossible to, to fathom that they could do any worse. And again, you know, we, we pick up new listeners every week because we're still a new podcast. So for those of you who are new, we got to throw this out there every time. This is not a personal attack. We don't, we don't claim to have any ill feelings toward them personally. We're sure they're good dudes. We're talking about what, what we've seen on the tape. And, and what we see on the tape in, on the offensive line is a right tackle who repeatedly gets beaten by everything from bull rushes to swims and rips from players ranging from Vanderbilt to Alabama and everywhere in between. 
like the guy isn't getting it done and it's hurting the program. So we, and yeah, again, we're very clear about this. It's not personal, never is. We just look at the tape. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and we always say we're here to keep it respectful. But we're also here to keep it real. That's right. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, Gene DeLance is a physical specimen, but apparently he just doesn't have it between the ears when it comes to knowing his assignment and reacting to it properly. Um, yeah. So, and that's no, that's no hit on him personally. I'm sure being a student at the University of Florida, I'm sure he's a brilliant guy. I'm sure he's doing well in school. And I'm sure he's going to get a – if he has he, – he graduated already, right? He did. And I'm sure he's got a, got a great degree in, um, you know, whether he, uh, he somehow – you know, not, he doesn't really have the tape for the NFL, but if he sums out, somehow gets in a practice squad or, or uh, you know, or he just goes on and does something else besides football for his life, I believe he's going to be successful. But for whatever reason, he's been kind of the, the odd man out when it comes to our offensive line. And it's one of those things we've been pointing out, con- considering besides him and besides the lack of a running game, we've, we've had a, uh, a pretty special offense. So, so Neil, um, let's go ahead and dive right into our segment that we call the final word. As always, we're going to give our play of the game, our player of the game, our grades, on offense, defense, special teams, and the coaching staff, and this will be a fun one. But we're also going to add a special addition to the final word, considering Thursday night the Heisman Trophy finalists are going to be released, and on January 5th we're going to know who wins the Heisman Trophy. So we're going to ask who should win the Heisman Trophy and we also have to add who will win the Heisman Trophy. So we'll start with our play of the game, and I'll go ahead and go. I know the play wasn't as consequential as I had hoped, but my play of the game has to be Kyle Pitts' 100th catch of his career. That beautiful reception in the end zone. If you want to hear me break it down further... Rewind and go to the beginning of the pot. But that was a beautiful throw by Kyle Trask and an immaculate catch by Kyle Pitts, cementing the Kyle-to-Kyle connection that we've grown to love all year. And it's obviously going to be incredibly sad to see him go, but we wish Kyle Pitts nothing but the best as he moves on to making millions in the NFL. So, Neil, what was your play of the game? So my play of the game was not actually a play. It was the timeout that Dan Mullen called just before the two-point conversion after Florida scored its last touchdown of the game. The minute he did that, we were dead. Florida should have just aborted that plan, taken the delay of game penalty, and had Evan McPherson try an extra point from 24 yards out. I, I get it. You wanted to go for two there so that your next touchdown, should you get it with the extra point, you win the game. I get the analytics of going for two on the first touchdown when you're down two touchdowns because statistics say two-point conversions are basically a coin flip. And if you don't get it on the first try, you're likely to get it on the second try. And I get not wanting to play for overtime because the longer this game wore on, the more the advantage would have shifted to the more dominant team, which was clearly Alabama. But that timeout was the difference in getting the ball back with 15 seconds and 55 seconds for our last shot. It it was not worth it. Again, I get the analytics of going for two to begin with, but cost-benefit analysis here, it's not worth it wasting a timeout just to get that play right. So as I've said before, Mullen is great at making in-game tactical decisions, but this was a big mistake, and it made the difference. So that's my my moment of the game, we'll call it. Yeah, so so Neil... Let me just add this before we get to our player of the game. I played quarterback in high school, and keep in mind, high school, not college, but we had a, a two-point play. We had several two-point plays, one that we picked out every week based on the defense we were playing, but we had nonetheless a play ready to go 
that we practiced over and over and over again. We even practiced situations where we, we were ready to go with that play immediately. It was second nature to run that play. So the fact that the Gators were unprepared to run that play was concerning. And I know we love Dan Mullen. I know we were thrilled with how he's overhauled this offense and we're thrilled with what he's done with the likes of Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and amongst others. Um, but at the same time, that's a lack of preparation that obviously needs to be fixed and I'm confident will be fixed uh, moving forward and, and into future seasons. But I agree with you, Neil. So let's go ahead and move on to our player of the game. And since I went first on the play of the game, we'll have you go first, Neil. So who's your player of the game? Trask. Easy. Jones had better numbers, but Trask had the better day. And Trask had no help from his offensive line. He got sacked five times, three of those times thanks to Gene DeLance, who (sighs) – I mean, look, who knows? Like, what if he was only sacked twice? Does one of those other three plays go for a 50-yard bomb? Because Trask did hit two 50-yard bombs on the day, one to Grimes and one to Tony. So who knows? Maybe if he has three more chances to throw the ball, maybe one of those three becomes another bomb. The deck was clearly stacked against him in this game because of that. And despite that, he just went out and balled. I mean, he played more than well enough for Florida to win this game. And, I mean, really, he hasn't had a true – bad game all year and he not only maintained that consistent level of play he upped it he played it i think his second best game of the year against alabama on the biggest stage so for me it has to be trask yeah man you're absolutely right i am gonna go with the player the game i'm not i'm not just gonna pick a gator because because um i'm a gator I'm going to go with Najee Harris. I think he had the game of his life. I mean, he's played well all season, but considering he had three touchdown catches, 67 yards, and he had two run, two rushing touchdowns, 178 yards. I mean, Najee Harris gashed us. He had his way with our defense. And because he was such a running threat, I know, obviously, Grantham did not coach effectively for much of the game. I, I thought we did improve um, in that, uh, that third quarter with some halftime adjustments. But Najee Harris, definitely the player of the game. That's who got it. Uh, that's, who, that's who was the MVP of the game, and he definitely earned it. Now, the question remains, will that earn him the Heisman? But we'll get to that discussion in just a few minutes let's go ahead and dive in to our grades and i know we like to be very academic with this and so neil i'll go ahead and uh give my grade for offense i thought the offense played pretty well and again as we've been saying the entire season concerning context i mean the context is you're playing alabama you're playing a uh, defense that is full of five-star talent, especially at the linebacker position and in the secondary. And the Gators played exceptional on offense. I mean, anytime you're scoring 46 points, you're, you're doing enough to win the game. Obviously, um, obviously, we had a few turnovers, and you can never have that happen. So um, just by virtue of those turnovers, I'm going to go ahead and give Florida an A-. minus, But – Offense did not lose Florida the game. It's certainly defense. And just as I gave the offense an A minus, I'm going to go ahead and give the defense a D minus. I mean, the only thing keeping them from that uh, unforgivable F, that that 22 to 23 percent F, like we discussed earlier, was some of the key stops that took place in the the third quarter that allowed Florida to come back. I mean, if if uh, the defense was as consistently awful as the offense was consistently great uh, for the whole, for the whole game. Then it probably would have been a a seventy to twenty eight type game because it wasn't a seventy to twenty eight game and it was a fifty two to forty six game. I'm gonna I'm gonna give the defense a D minus. 
special teams. There wasn't a whole lot going on on special teams. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give them a B. And then as far as coaching, I have to – the staff is C-minus. Obviously, the defensive coordinator is part of that staff, and, and Grantham gets a big fat F for what we've been talking about at nauseum the entire pod. Um, but Dan Mullen had some uh, key coaching errors that hurt the Gators, including that timeout that he called that they know so brilliantly discussed. Um, but overall, anytime you're within six points of a team that Vegas projected you to lose by at least 17 points to, that's pretty good. So I think a C minus is fair. Um, and who knows if we would have somehow pulled out the win and won the game, we'd be giving the coaches an A or at least a B. Um, so it shows you how much the outcome can change our perspective on the grades. So Neil, go ahead and give us your grades. Yeah. So offense gets a B plus and it's only that low because of our favorite punching bag on this podcast. Sorry, but Delance killed us. I, I mean, again, like I said before, I'm going to assume he's a great guy who does all he can do to make the Florida Gators the best they can be. But once again, he was our weakest link, and that weakest link brought the whole team down. You know, Trask had a great game. Tony had a great game. Pitts had a f- phenomenal game. Trayvon Grimes had a great game. And and the left side of the offensive line had a great game. But that that right side just let the whole team down. So because of that, B+. Plus, that is a part of the team, and that has to count for something. So B+. Plus. Defense, you might be a little surprised by this grade because Florida gave up 605 yards of total offense to Alabama, and and you will see that pop up in these grades somewhere. But I'm going to give this defense a C. Given how incredibly talented Alabama's offense is, plus the bad scheme that these guys are saddled with, they actually played fairly well. I mean, Trey Dean has been very underrated this year. Not even talking about the pick here because that was a hell of a play, but he put a pretty good game on tape. Kyrie Elam, as we mentioned, put a pretty great game on tape. Amari Bernie was all over the place making plays. Muhammad Diabate covered a lot of ground on Saturday night. He made some plays too. James Houston made a bunch of plays and so on and so on. So as Dustin says, context, given what we had personnel-wise from the coaching staff to the players and all that in between, I thought we did okay. So C. Special teams gets a B. That's my neutral grade. We didn't really do anything great. We didn't really do anything terrible. We didn't kick off out of bounds or get a punt blocked or miss an easy field goal or anything like that. So you know, those we, we did have uh, a poor, a poorly executed onside. We did have yeah, a poorly executed are, onside. Right, right. But I mean, you're right. Just, yes. I, just, but, but I can't believe very, I forgot that. Very hard just to execute. The odds are right. not in your favor when you do one of those. So yeah, that does have to count for something. But that is the odds are so stacked against the team doing the kicking that it, I can't really fault him for that. So I'll give them a B. Here we go. As for coaching, well, here's where you're going to see Alabama's 605 yards of offense show up in the grades. F. Coaching gets an F. It's not one of those 2 or 3% Fs where you have to just abandon ship and just build from scratch like we've said on previous shows but this was this was like a you know one of those 50 55 ish level f's where you know all right i can kind of see that you know what you're doing at times you're not completely clueless but nonetheless this was a failure of a performance and things have to change i mean i already mentioned the two-point play that was pretty bad but it was more than just that the defense the defensive scheme Todd Grantham's scheme is not conducive to winning games, especially not if he's going to use the same players who have been beaten over and over and over and over again. Those 10, 12, 15-yard cushions on receivers at the line of scrimmage combined with three-man rushes are never going to work. There's just not. I'm at a loss like because we've said this so many times on this podcast and not just us. Everyone says it. It's not, we're not, we're not digging up some hidden gem here. Like that's a, that's a fairly easy observation for a casual fan to be able to make. Like that's just so boilerplate. Think about it. Like you're going up against the best offensive line in, in the sec in Alabama. You're going to rush three guys 
and you're going to give their wide receivers plenty of room to operate off the line of scrimmage. You're not going to jam them so that you at least give those three guys a prayer of getting to the quarterback. What about that is in Florida's favor? What are we supposed to do with that that's going to result in a positive play for us? Like, I'm at a loss here because it's just the same stuff over and over again. And you know what? I'm going to institute a new rule here. It is possible that Todd Grantham is is not going to be back next year. But until I actually see that he's not our defensive coordinator anymore, new rule. For every game that we give up more than 400 yards of offense, coaching gets an automatic F. I don't care what else happens. Automatic F for every game that Todd Grantham is our defensive coordinator and we give up 400 yards of offense because it is a major failure on Dan Mullen's part to keep employing him. And like I said, I do have a hunch that he won't be back next year, but if he is, that, that rule is going into effect. There's, there's just too much game film of too many players doing too many things wrong to rationalize bringing the guy back. Yeah, I agree. And actually, I, I like how you treated the defensive grade, and in hindsight, I probably should have done the same. So I probably should have given the defense a C minus and and uh, took a little more off on coaching. Um, but that's why we're different. That's why we have two different perspectives, and uh, that's how we're going to do it. So let's go ahead and dive into the two additional questions that we added to the final word, and that is um, Heisman talk. So the first question that we're going to take is um, who should win the Heisman? And uh, Neil, um, you can go first. I think Kyle Trask should win it, not just because of his stats, but because of the profound lack of help that he's gotten from his offensive line most of the year. The first Florida quarterback to ever throw for 4,000 passing yards in one season, and he did it without his favorite target for about half of it in Kyle Pitts. I'd be fine if Najee Harris or Devontae Smith won it. Those guys are sensational. I think Mac Jones is a very good borderline great quarterback. I don't think he has any business winning the Heisman Trophy, but because this is a popularity contest that usually goes to the quarterback of the best team in the country, I think he will win it. All right, Neil. So obviously we think that Kyle Trask should win the Heisman. In fact, we already discussed it, but there's an article out on the, in all kinds of weather website in which I detail exactly why Kyle Trask should be the Heisman winner, and it shouldn't even be a question. He not only should be the Heisman winner, but it should be by the same margin that Joe Burrow won the Heisman. So Derek Tyson on Twitter wrote, Joe Burrow threw for 5,671 yards and 60 touchdowns with six interceptions in 15 games last season. Through 11 games, Kyle Trask would have been on pace for 5,625 yards and 59 touchdown passes with seven interceptions in 15 games. So Kyle Trask and Joe Burrow are, from a yards and a touchdown standpoint, literally having identical seasons. There's literally no reason why Kyle Trask should not be the Heisman winner. And for those of you that, that, um, that make the argument that, well, Florida has three losses, that his performance against LSU was rough, are you kidding me? Yeah, he, he had some turnovers. I mean, two, one of them was because of an, an uh, it's completely a fluke. The other, the, the fumble shouldn't have happened as poor, poor play by the offensive line. I'll leave it at that. But Trask still had uh, 474 yards. Um, I believe he accounted for four touchdowns. I mean, he still played an excellent game in that game. There was not a game this year that Kyle Trask didn't play excellent. I mean, uh, a weak game for Trask was a three-touchdown game. I mean, come on. He had the season of his life. Kyle Trask should win the Heisman. As far as who will win the Heisman, I'm actually not going to answer that in the pod. Um, I'm going to be putting out another article uh, early next week. You can look for that Monday or Tuesday of next week 
where I will be detailing exactly who, who in my, not my opinion, but in my uh, objective analysis, who I think will win the Heisman. And I'll, I'll take into account the, who we know are the finalists and uh, we'll go from there. So I'm going to, I'm going to go and leave that one out and you guys can find out uh, next week. So any, any thoughts, Neil, before we wrap this up? Admirable fight from Florida against Alabama. Um, but, you know, with, with the personnel we've got, with the personnel we had on the field, with the personnel that we had making decisions, i.e. Todd Grantham, you know, I'm, I'm just happy we kept as close as we did. If, if we'd done things differently, we probably could have beaten them. But, you know, of course we didn't. It is what it is. And uh, a great season. Let's cop it off in the Cotton Bowl, boys. Absolutely. And I know we picked this team apart in a lot of ways because the expectation is to win championships. And if you're not winning championships, you're not meeting expectations, and you rightfully deserve to be picked apart. In fact, when uh, Mullen took the job at the University of Florida, he made it clear that his goal was to win national championships. And, you know, it's another year, year three, where uh, it's not going to happen. We're not playing for a national championship. I mean, we technically played for a national championship, but we lost those opportunities. So, yeah. Uh, But I will say this. All of us coming into the week expected Florida to get destroyed. I know last minute, Neil, you and I, we, we upped our, our uh, projections a little bit and got the game a little closer. And we, we didn't pick the Gators to win, but we were, we were very happy that it was a valiant effort and the Gators gave it their all. And this, for all that is wrong with the defense and for all the need that the Gators have to bring on a new person at defensive coordinator. This program is, for the most part, going in the right direction. The fact that the Gators did not get obliterated by Bama and just lost by six points, that's not something that is uh, to be frowned upon completely. So with that said, that's all we've got today. If you've enjoyed our show, please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. We would very much appreciate that as we keep going. And, of course, we thank you for listening. We've got our third straight New Year's Six Bowl game to look forward to under Coach Dan Mullen. And this is, of course, the Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma. And we'll be back soon to preview that game as well. And, of course, there's a ton of storylines entering in to that game, and you won't want to miss our next podcast. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and as always, in honor of Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask, go Gators! Go Gators, beat Oklahoma, just like January 8th, 2009. Yes, sir! Yes, sir! Beat Oklahoma!